You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Some of us are crippled by our past, and we allow that to affect how we act as Christians now. Because our image of God is too small. Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, all things have come new. How big is your God? Did all things really pass away? Are all things old and all things new? You probably have a few skeletons in your closet. Most people do. The question Pastor Dave poses today is, do you let those skeletons of the past dictate your present and impact your future? Because of God, you can experience freedom as you let go of your past. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 26 as he continues his message, How Big Is Your God? We know that's because of the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess. We know that it's by the name of Jesus that man comes to salvation. And Peter said it so well at the beginning of Acts in chapter 4, verse 12. He said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which must be saved, by which must be saved. In other words, Jesus is the name to salvation. So you can talk about God all you want, but you need to know who Jesus is because Jesus is the way to salvation. Oh, how Paul wished that King Agrippa would be saved. How he wished he could put all the pieces together, all the Judaism that he knows, put all the pieces of together. We have many of our friends, many of our families who are practicing some sort of religion. Oh, how they would put the pieces together of what they know. How they would put the pieces together and know that Jesus is the one. He said clearly, I am the way, I'm the truth, and the life. How they would do that. He hoped the king would take all this knowledge and put it together that was accumulated. And he would trust in Jesus as the Messiah. What a great prayer for our family and friends. But notice how Paul once again returns to the crux of the problem. Or crux of the argument. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Notice how Paul once again inserts the resurrection into his gospel message. Remember a couple weeks ago we said that without the resurrection, there is no gospel message? Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no gospel message. So Paul now inserts the gospel message. But this time Paul takes a different slant. He takes a different angle. And I love this about Paul. He had a bag of tricks that you can't imagine. I love the way he works this out. He uses another tactic. Paul asks King Agrippa, King, how big's your God? How big's your God? Look at verse 8. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? So, king, how big is your God? What a question. Hey, king, tell me the truth now. You're familiar with Judaism. You know all the prophecies about the Messiah. You know everything that's going on. How big's your God? Why do you think it's so incredible that God would raise the dead? Why do you think it's so incredible? This is a question we're being asked constantly. 
Many, many people are confused about this because their ideas of God are small. Many people have problems with the Bible today. You know, parting of the Red Sea, Jonah in the belly of a whale for three days, creation itself. People are having all kinds of problems with these things, not to mention the other miracles. They bring these things up as troubling. They think they're troubling. They think they're difficult scriptures to deal with. Why? Because their concept of God is too small. Let's face it. If God wanted a nuclear submarine to swallow Jonah, don't you think he would have had a nuclear submarine to swallow Jonah? Then everybody would have gone, oh, I understand that. Here's a God, a loving Lord, who made the entire universe. The entire universe. You don't think he's capable of making a fish big enough to swallow Jonah? It says God prepared a fish. If you read the account, it said God prepared a fish. It wasn't some old shark. It might not have even been a whale. But whatever it was, it was a fish that God had prepared. God had prepared that fish for that time. So your concept of God is all that should be. Why do you think it's incredible that God would create a large fish? Why do you think it's incredible that God would raise the dead? See, the difficulty of the task must be measured and always be measured by the capacity of the agent doing the task. If you have a real, real difficult task and somebody who's not capable of doing the task, well, you can measure it that way. But if you have a difficulty task and you have someone all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-creative doing the task, then what's the difficulty? There should be no difficulty. Why do you think it incredible that God would raise the dead? This is the question he asked. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Stop. Can't swallow that, you're done. If you cannot swallow that one verse and reconcile that one verse, the rest of the book will never make any sense. The rest of the book will not make any sense with you of all. A God who is big enough to create the heavens and to create the earth is big enough to do anything else that the Bible says he would do. Why do you think it's incredible that God would raise the dead? Sometimes I think it's our lack of faith that's demonstrated by this great surprise when God does something in our life after we prayed for it. And we can become so surprised that God did it. Oh my gosh, look what God did. Now, it's great, don't get me wrong. But when we see the work of God, it's tough to believe. Our concept of God is so limiting. Why do we limit our concept of God? We limit it. We're the ones that limit it. Oh, God, help us and free us from this narrow concept that we might see the fullness of his glory, that we might see the fullness of him in our lives and look at his power and his majesty and his majestic abilities. Paul wrote that in Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. Is that a big God or what? That's a big God. Oh, God, help us to get it correct to have a correct concept of God so God would free us from this narrow, limited thing, trying to make God into our image, trying to keep God in that little box that we have here. This is God. There's a story of some missionaries in New Hebrides Islands by the name of, his name was John Payton, P-A-T-O-N. One night, hostile natives came around. They surrounded the mission. They were intent on burning he and his wife out and killing them. He and his wife got down on their knees and they prayed all night long. All night long as they heard the hooping and the hollering outside that God would deliver them. All night long they stayed there and prayed. 
When daylight came, they looked at each other and they were absolutely amazed that they were alive. They were amazed that they were alive. They couldn't believe that they weren't in heaven. They couldn't believe that the Lord had saved them. As they continued their missionary work, a year later, they looked at the chief of that tribe and he got converted to Jesus Christ. They went up to him and said, remember the day you guys came and you surrounded our our house and you're going to burn us down and you're going to kill us? Why didn't you do that? The chief said, because of all the men around you. And he said, what men? He said, it was just my wife and I in a camp. He said, no, 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 no. We were afraid to attack because we saw hundreds of big men with shining garments and drawn swords surrounding the mission. That's a big God. That's a big God. And when I read this, I immediately went to 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17 with Elisha. I went to 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17, where Elisha and his brand new servant are on the scene. And they're facing this huge army. And it says in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? You see, the Syrian army detachment had surrounded the place by night. And this new servant, who didn't understand Elisha's power, he didn't understand God, was nervous. He had all kinds of fear. He didn't know what was going on. And his faith was so easily shaken by what was happening here. He didn't know how big God was. And as we read in verses 16 and 7, it says, So he answered, he being Elisha, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then he prayed this, Lord, I pray, open his eyes, talking about the servant, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he looked around, and behold, he saw the mountains were filled with horses and chariots of fire all around them. Obviously, the group left. Obviously, the group left the battle. See, Elijah could see the spiritual realm what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. I love this, and I've taught this before, and I love this verse. You know, in, in, verse, in John 3, verse 3, Jesus clearly is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I think that this is a twofold thing here, and I've taught it before. I, I, and this scripture right here helps us. You can't see the kingdom of heaven. In other words, number one, first, if you're born again, you're not going to see heaven, period. Unless you're born again, you will not see heaven, you will not see God, you will not be in heavenly places. But secondly, unless you're born again, unless you're born of the Spirit, unless you have a spiritual being, you can't see spiritual things. You can't discern what is spiritual and what is not unless you are born again and become filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Elisha could see that God was in control, that God was present in the circumstances, and God was ready to fight for Elisha. See, the Patons, on the other hand, were astonished by what they learned from the chief, astonished that their God was big enough to take care of their problems, where Elisha knew and he trusted that God would. You see the difference? The same God working the same miracle, one was, was surprised and astonished, the other one knew what God would do. They knew how big their God was. They understood how big their God was. Listen to what David Guzik says. Quote, why should it be thought incredible that God can do anything? 
We must stop putting God in a small box and realize that the only thing that limits God is his own word because he will always honor his word. In Psalm 138, verse 2, we read, I will worship toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said in his commentary, there is no reason why we should think it incredible that God should raise the dead. We're not required to believe anything that is incredible, anything that implies a contradiction. There are motives of credibility sufficient to carry us through all the doctrines of Christian religion, and particularly the resurrection of the dead. Has not God an infinite, almighty power to which nothing is impossible? Did he not make the world at first out of nothing with a word speaking? Did he not form our bodies, form them out of clay, and breathe into us life? And cannot the same power form them again out of their own clay and put life into them again? Do we not see a kind of resurrection in nature every spring? Has the sun such a force to raise dead plants? And should it seem incredible that God could raise the dead? Unquote. This was a profound statement to Agrippa. This was really profound to Agrippa because we read later on in verse 28, he says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian, Paul. This was really working on his mind. You almost persuade me. Paul, you know, you almost talked me into this. It's a shame that it wasn't successful. So as we finish out our text, Paul wasn't finished because then he talks about his B.C. days. And we've talked about this before in, in other studies. But as we read verses 9 to 11, just to finish up, it says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many other saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And then they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Wow. I think that this really troubled Paul during his latter Christian years. I think his past really bothered him. And you know, some of us are crippled by our past also. Some of us are crippled by our past, and we allow that to affect how we act as Christians now. Because our image of God is too small. Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, all things have come new. How big is your God? Did all things really pass away? Are all things old and all things new? How big is your God? Did it really take place that we became a new creature? Did God really take my sin and cast it into the depths of the sea? Did he really take my iniquities as far as the east is from the west? Did he remove them from me? How big is your God? We have to reconcile this. Our God, is, our God is a big God. We've seen his glorious hand. You've seen his glorious hand. You've seen times when his glorious hand has come out and touched you. And you've seen it in your lives. Don't tell me you haven't. I know you have. How he has worked in your life mightily. How it looks like a miracle. He delivers us from our sin, regardless of what they are. He sets us free from bondage that we're in constantly. How big is your God? There is nothing too big for God, and yet there is nothing too small for him either. 
There was nothing too big for our God to handle. Why do we think it incredible that God would raise the dead? Why do we think it incredible that God would do the things he does in the Bible? Parts the Red Sea. All the plagues of Egypt makes, makes manna fall from the heaven. Why do we think that incredible? Why is it so hard to believe? It depends upon your concept of God. Corson said something in his commentary that made me stop and think. He said that while most of us probably do not doubt the power of God, we do sometimes doubt his willingness to intervene in our situations personally. Think about that. It comes down to a matter of our faith. This becomes a stumbling block. We believe in God, but we don't believe in a God who is interested in our well-being on a daily basis, one who wants to be actively involved in our lives. Paul asked this question in Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul says, if our God is for us, who can be against us? How big is your God? You know, Satan is against us. The world is against us. But the idea is, who's Satan? What's the world compared to God? How big is our God? David said, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. If God be for me, the glorious truth, my brethren, my friends, my loves, the glorious truth is God is for you today. God is for you. And because he is for you, I don't care what Forces beyond our beliefs, powers, principalities from hell come against you. They will not prevail because God is for you today. God is on our side. And read the book. We win. We win. You know, I love these scriptures because there's nothing really more that we need that could possibly compare to what God has already given us. What more do we need that can compare with what God has already given us? Our problem is we don't understand the depth of God's love. We do not understand the depth of God's love. We don't understand just how really big our God is and how rich, how broad, how expansive his love is for us today. We don't realize it. Oh, if we would, if we knew that, we would never hide from him again. We would never run from him again. If we knew the vastness of his love, if we knew just how much is coming towards us in that love, we would never run the other way. We would never disbelieve him. We would never have any unbelief. If we honestly knew, if we were able to look around with spiritual eyes and see what's in this room right now, protecting us from the outside, protecting us from the world, we would never, ever distrust him again. God says, I'm for you. I am for you. If you only knew that God's love was broader than the universe and his desires for you were only good, then you realize how foolish it is to run away from him, how foolish it is to turn your back on him because he always has your best interest at heart. See, he's already given us the greatest gift he can possibly give. He's already demonstrated that vast love for you. He's held nothing back. He gave you his beloved son. What more can he give? He gave you his beloved son. He has held nothing back for that. Anything else that we might ever need is insignificant compared to that. Anything else we might ever need. Our God's big. To think that this God 
so vast, omnipotent, omnipresent, just so wonderful, has chosen to have a relationship with us. Think about that. He has chosen to have a relationship with us. He created us for that relationship. It boggles your mind. But it's true because we have God's word on it. We have God's word on it. As I was studying this, I can get real silly. But, and as I was studying this, there was something that just kept on going through my mind. Something that just kept going through my mind. I don't know if it's going through your mind the entire time we've been talking about this. But there's something been going through that mind. And I have to say, I have to do this. But I want to leave you today with a little something from a couple of my friends. A couple of friends of mine by the name of Larry and Bob. Because the entire time I was doing this study, the entire time I was doing this study, I kept on hearing them do this. While you're lying in your bed and you're feeling kind of sleepy, but don't, couldn't close your eyes because the room was getting creepy. Were those eyeballs in the closet? Was that Godzilla in the hall? There was something big and hairy casting shadows on the wall. Now your heart is beating like a drum. Your skin is getting clammy. There's 120,000 monsters jumping in your jammies. Bob says, what do I do? Junior says, call the police. Bob says, no, I don't have anything to do. I don't do that. Why? Why? Because God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. He's bigger than the boogeyman. He's watching out for you and me. Junior says, when I'm lying in my bed and the furniture starts to creeping, I'll just laugh and say, hey, cut that out and get back to my sleeping. Because I know that God's the biggest and he's watching all the while. And when I get scared, I'll think of him, close my eyes and smile. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's watching out for you and me. Monster number one says, are you frightened? Junior says, not really. Monster number two says, are you worried? Junior says, not a bit. I know whatever's going to happen, God can handle it. Frank and Celery says, I'm sorry that I scared you when you saw me on TV. Junior says, well, that's okay, because I know that God is taking care of me. God is bigger than a boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's watching out for you and me. He's watching out for you and me. Watching, watching, watching. Watching out for you and me. I know that's silly, but the point is so true. The point is so pure, and that's why I love it. Even if my friends are a cucumber and a tomato. The point being made here is so, so true. God is bigger than anything you might come upon today. He's bigger than anything that you think you can't handle. Let him handle it. He is bigger. We used to sing a song, he is able. He is able to do anything that encompasses us today. He is able to achieve anything today. How big is your God? He's mighty. He's able. Don't think it incredible that he could raise the dead. Don't think it incredible that he can take away your sin by calling upon the name of Jesus Christ. Don't think anything that he does incredible. Think it wonderful and powerful because he did it. That's where you need to place your trust in a God that big who can handle those situations. You are Our time with you is running short for today's edition of Assure Hope. 
Pastor Dave will continue this journey through the book of Acts when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We'd encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Acts. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this New Testament book right here on A Sure Hope.